Frank, 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 Frank. I want to talk to you about a serious topic that not a lot of people are talking about, but is sort of maybe because it's a deeper, lower level talk. But I feel like it's a topic that Frank Krueger would be into because our good friend, Eric Sink. Thing. There we go. Perfect. Eric Sink. The, you know, without Eric Sink in general, SQLite doesn't exist in the world of .NET (laughs) at all. Uh, put out a very fascinating blog post. This is in a part of uh, a series of blog posts on something called native AOT for .NET. Do you know what this is about? Do you know <laughs> where I'm about to go with this only because I sent you the blog post earlier in the week? Oh, I've been doing my research. When you give me homework, James, I do my research. And yeah, this is totally a topic I'm into. And I, I, we should do more episodes about Eric Sink's work. I'm a big fan. Uh, he and I seem to collide on topics all the time. So yeah, we both got into SQLite around the same time. Uh, my library takes a dependency on his. And we both get into native code a lot because we are weird computer people and we love thinking about <laughs> machine cycles and assembly language and things like that and object file formats i don't know why i'm into this stuff it's weird it's a weird hobby anyway <laughs> uh native aot you know it's it's funny because coming from the mono xamarin ios world we've been doing native aot lowercase letters <laughs> for a very long time uh, but microsoft has um a new technology, native AOT, capitalized, capitalized native, <laughs> where um, .NET 6, I think, had it. .NET 7 definitely has it, where it compiles your managed app, your C-sharp app, into purely native code. And I think the thing, I kind of knew that was a feature because I'd heard Scott Hanselman bragging about it a lot, where you can just publish your website down to native code. Mm. Uh the part that I didn't know uh, and Eric Sink is talking about is there's support for libraries too. So you can take your C-sharp library and turn that into a native library, not just a native app. And that's kind of cool. And he has gone absolutely insane <laughs> playing off of that idea, seeing how far he can push it and what things he can do with it. And so I think this is going to be fun. Let's talk about native AOT libraries. Yeah, because I think native native AOT, you're right. I think even when I talked about it in one of my videos, I talked about how you can take your like, you know, um council app or whatever and AOTify it and just it's an XE that runs everywhere and it's super fast to start up. And you know, that was the the major thing that folks talk about. And now you're right. Like what he did in this blog post and video that I'm gonna put in the show notes and definitely recommend everyone take a glance at is use native AOT to take a library, specifically Quest PDF, which is a really, really cool PDF library for .NET developers for like generating PDFs and reading PDFs and the stuff, took it and got it running inside of a Rust application. <laughs> now, how he got there is very fascinating that's what we're going to talk about. But before we even get into that, I think he makes a good point um, in this blog post, which is, this isn't like a, a new concept of running .NET in another um, like operating system, not operating system, but other, another language and another framework, right? Mm-hmm. That has been done for a while. Like if you think of, um, um, I don't know, you, you know, you, you give me an example because you've done it. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we'll go all the way back to the early days of Monotouch and Xamarin. Uh, Xamarin always supported what they called Xamarin embedding. So you mm. could take an Objective-C app that you're writing in Xcode and then put <laughs> a Xamarin app inside of it. So your main app, your main compilation can be, um, you know, native code. But then you can take advantage of managed code by taking a library dependency. They call that embedding. But embedding was just a fancy term for we packaged up the .NET runtime and all your code into native compatible layers um, that native code could talk to. So when we say native code, um, it's funny because er Eric is loving his rust <laughs> he's way into the rust world <laughs> i'm not a rust person myself um but what's enabling all this tech is we call it the cabi or the abi the application binary interface and it's just an agreed upon way to shuffle around data in order to call functions and if you can make a, a library that obeys the ABI, the standard ABI for the platform. It's different for every processor. It's different for every platform. If you can output that kind of stuff, then pretty much any programming language can talk to it because any language worth any of its salt <laughs> can talk to a C library. That's just how the world is. We have to be able to talk to the operating system. That's done through the C ABI. You need to be able to talk to old timey libraries. That's through the C ABI. And so, of course, Rust can talk to the C ABI. Uh, C Sharp <laughs> can talk to the um, C ABI through P invoke. That's what P invoke mm -hmm. is. That's mm -hmm. just uh, making all that work. Uh, so this is, as he said, it's it's not a new concept. It's just kind of neat how easy they made it to take a C-sharp library and expose functions. You're not going to expose your classes and all that kind of stuff. What you're going to have to do is create some new global functions, basically, some static functions that um, take data in and pass data out that obey that ABI. And once you do that pretty much anyone can talk to it. Python can talk to it. Rust can talk to it. Go can talk to it. Ruby can talk to it. C Sharp can talk to it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what, so we, we, we take our .NET uh, libraries, we run them through uh, native AOT, and then we get a C library, and then we create pinvoke wrappers around that and then call <laughs> it again from C Sharp. I think that'd be the most performant way of doing it, correct? Yes, exactly. I think Eric even has. Um, so you, you mentioned Eric Six been on a blog series talking about all this stuff, and I think even in one of his blog posts, he did exactly that experiment. Took some C sharp code, compiled it down to native, wrote other C sharp code that talked through the native layer to that C sharp code, and had it all working. Hilarious. That's not what it's for, everyone. It's not what it's for. No. <laughs> what it's for no. is um, deploying libraries to other operating systems in case you don't like. There's always libraries that you pick up. Like I always pick up libjpeg. You know, you want to compile some Linux software or something, you need libjpeg. And so this would enable you to create uh, <laughs> libjames <laughs> with, all, with all your good code in it and have that available to C and Rust programmers. The problem with it is, as we all know, pinvoke, no one likes calling pinvoke. It's annoying. Um, no. You don't want to call 
native C code from Python because it's not Pythonic. It, you have to go through a bunch of wrappers and marshalling data and converting string types and all that kind of stuff. It's really ugly. And so Eric did the especially fun thing of, it's like, well, if, if we're going to make these things callable, he also... Uh, made wrapper libraries to make it easier to call. We should get into all of that and how, how crazy it is to be doing wrappers from that direction because we've been doing wrappers for Xamarin forever. But it's it's all just weird. It's, it's weird how it's a big cycle that can just keep looping around. Yeah, and then the important parts to mention here is with the native AOT aspect, like you said, this is compiled down to that C library and it follows, as long as those exported functions follow the C rules, things will be gravy. And again, the biggest advantage of this, I'm just going to reiterate a few things that you said, but you you talked through a lot of things. I want to reiterate a few parts is that there's no CLR involved at this point. Crazy. They just right. put it all in. Yeah. Well, that's a I huge mean, advantage. There. Sorry, I should say it's there. They're it's just packaging it up. Yeah. So, but you don't have to host the CLR, I should say. And now that was one of the things with the embedinator was that, uh, you needed to host the CLR, but then if you had multiple CLRs and there was some conflicting stuff, it was like kind of a pain in the butt. But I think this is like one of the big advantages. So the biggest advantage, like you said, is, oh, okay, like any new programming language comes out, if it can speak to a C thing, it could take advantage of these things. Or if you're like, hey, I have tons of .NET libraries, but these folks over here that Eric's leading this team on wants to do everything in Rust, we don't have to throw away or rewrite all of our work we can leverage that or this fancy thing that's available in .NET, which is like super duper crazy impressive at the end of the day, because again, it's just C. But I agree with you. The biggest thing that I always struggled with, because there is some tooling in Visual Studio. And I remember uh, working with like the C++ team in Visual Studio way back in the day where they made it really easy to like drop in a C Sharp library into an Android app. And it would automatically create the bindings for you. And like you could like expose a few things and access it. It was really, really neat uh, because it was just like automated in that regard and not having to do anything manually. But I think even now in our documentation, it's like, oh, like drop in these, you know, your <laughs> files and then just call B invoke and you, you'll figure it out and just get every single parameter correct under the sun. Yeah, it's <laughs> not not super fun. Yeah. So, OK, at one level, this is all super easy. If we just take a step back and rewind, um, I had to follow along in Eric's blog because I had never created one of these native libraries. So it's neat. You just create a class library and then you add a property to your project file called publish AOT mm-hmm. and you set it to true. <laughs> done. And now done. And that's it. <laughs> and now when you um, you have to say .NET publish, it doesn't happen during .NET build. So .NET build, blah, blah, blah. .NET publish is when it does all the crazy work of, um, it's kind of funny. Um, it, it, it was going slow at first. It wasn't giving me any console feedback. I was like, what's going on? And so I brought up my network monitor. I saw I was downloading many new versions of .NET. <laughs> because it has a special uh, packaged version of .NET, it does. Anyway, uh, so it, it downloads all that, links it all together, and outputs the native library. 
So at, at one level, it's it's trivial. Bra- bravo, team. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> Great job. <laughs> at a second level, it's a little bit complicated because, um, as I said, your managed objects aren't going to be exposed right away. This is, you are going to have to think through what is the native interface to your library going to be, Mm -hmm. and you're going to want to create very specific functions for all those. And that's nothing new. Um, I I remember, okay, so (laughs) sorry, everyone, this is going to get complicated because it's a big, giant circle. In the Xamarin days, we wanted to bind to C++ libraries. C++ libraries technically uh, abide by the C ABI. It's just they're weird. C++ has its rules. It's not It's not so easy to just bind to a C++ library. So in the end, all C++ libraries would have another funny version of them that presented a much cleaner, simpler C interface. Just mm-hmm. functions, just data structures, just pointers. That's that's the happy world of the Unix world that we all live in right now. That's that's all any binary wants to be, just functions and data structures. And so you would have these, anytime you wanted to bind a C++ library, first thing you would do is write a C interface to that C++ library. And then in whatever language you were trying to consume that from, you would write a wrapper around that C <laughs> uh, interface. So it's all kind of gross and weird. Um, but it's been a common problem. It's something you always have to do. When you have a rich programming language and you want to present a simple interface, it's usually best to just declare and write that simple interface directly. And uh, you can do that pretty darned easily. Also, you just create some static classes, put some static methods on it, put this funny attribute on it. What's the attribute called? It's something like um, hmm, unmanaged callers only. Ooh, I love that name. So <laughs> only unmanaged people, native people are allowed to call that code. And you create your nice, clean C interface to your library that way. Yeah, it's beautiful. In fact, I remember having to do this when I was demoing Embedinator. And it was the reverse was true is because I wanted to take my C sharp stuff and expose something to objective C through the same exact system, but I didn't, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't like using gen, like creating things with generics and like invoking, mm-hmm. you know, this and the returning types that like the other thing wouldn't, you know, would be compliant right at that point. So you do have to sort of, um, yeah, interestingly enough, spice it up a little bit to make it, uh, make it work for you. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, the C ABI is wonderful, but it's annoying <laughs> because yeah. it, it is so simple. It's functions and data. That's all it is. And so I think the the beauty of the work, what what's really coming out of um, this .NET version is .NET is a very rich programming system. I want to say C Sharp is, but really it's, it's all in .NET. It's in the IL. It's in those managed libraries. It's in the assemblies. Mm-hmm. It has rich type information and all of that. And so what I think is so cool about Eric Sink's work is he's like, you know what, writing that C interface and then writing the Rust wrappers over that C interface, that's a lot of work. 
And mm-hmm. Ernstink is like me. We're lazy. <laughs> we, we, we're willing to spend three months writing a new tool to generate the wrappers rather than spend a day to write the wrappers yourself. And so he did the super cool step of for Rust, and you could do this for any other language, of not only um, exposing that C ABI to the native world, but also generates the wrappers for the Rust so that you can write Rust code that... I mean, I don't like Rust. <laughs> I think it's a bit of an ugly programming language. But at least the Rust equivalent code for using the library looks like the C-sharp code. You know, it's nice and clean. You're not calling funny function names. You're not marshalling data. You're not doing any of that nasty stuff. Uh, he's generating very nice wrappers in addition to it all. Yeah, that that's really, really neat. I mean, I think that's that's the hardest part, right? When we were talking about bringing in any C library is you're not, calling those things from C, right? You're, you, if you were using them in a C program, which I know many of our listeners are definitely writing C, just normal C <laughs> program, you know what I mean? All the time, uh, <laughs> then it, it wouldn't be such a big problem, right? But to your point, it's, I want to use this thing in this language that I that I want to use. And .NET developers have that same thing when they want to use a C program. Um, they want to bring it in. I guess the question is, he mentioned in the blog post Swig, which I am very, very aware of because it's a simplified wrapper and interface generator uh, that supports C Sharp. And the whole idea is to run your C, C++ libraries through Swig and it will pump out a um, your binding thing for you. Uh, but I don't think that that supports Rust. It seems like it supports Go and java and r and a few other ones but basically he wrote swig for (laughs) rust is that correct yeah exactly uh taking advantage of some things so swig i actually had to look up i don't have much experience with it but it Mm. solves like you said it solves that problem of the wrapper generation for the different programming languages um the problem is it's coming at it a little bit. Um, it doesn't have all the information that's actually available to .NET at the time that you could write these wrappers because it is generic. Mm. Um, it's, <laughs> you know, it has access to the native code and things that can figure out from there. But I think the neat thing that Eric's doing is because this is coming from managed code, which is type rich and information rich, he can generate better uh, rappers than I think Swig can. I, I don't want to take anything away from Swig because it's super cool what it's capable of doing. It's it create all these binding libraries for all these different languages. Um, but a, a, a specific built tool is always going to be better than a general purpose tool. So I think super cool uh, what he's doing. It got me to think, I'm like, okay, he likes Rust. I'm not a Rust person, but, you know, I do C++. It'd be fun to have the C++ header file generator and all that that actually reflects, like, your class hierarchy generated for all the code. Obviously, I'm old. No one wants to write C++ anymore, but that's where my mind went when when he did this Rust demo. I'm like, oh, wow, you could actually generate some decent uh, C++ classes also from it. And yeah. Fun. Programming languages are fun, aren't they? <laughs> they are fun. Yes. <laughs> it's a blast. Well, you know, and the one thing that I wanted to kind of talk about here is, you know, that that this is a really neat project. I recommend people not reading the blog, but also taking a look at his video too, because he demos all of it. Now it's like six minutes or so, 
walking through the entire process uh, near the end of the blog. He links to the, the video. I'll put it in the show notes. But what I think is cool is there's nothing there's nothing like obviously the rust stuff and the bridge stuff that he's running is there. But there's nothing really, like you said, that's like wild, right? Because he's just calling .NET publish commands. There's like a few package references and then that's sort of it, right? And just like then puts it in Rust and does the Rust stuff. So it is kind of just normal, just development yeah. at that point. And you have an API. <laughs> I mean, that's so fun. Like, yeah, it's a, they made it trivial to generate a native library. So that's cool. And then that means the only hard part left is generating the wrappers. And once you have a tool to automate that for you, um, yeah, life should be good. He did joke uh, in his blog that the tool's not the easiest thing to use, <laughs> the wrapper generator. They never are. Uh, if anyone's ever done, the wrappers I have the most experience with are the Objective-C wrappers for in C Sharp. So you're making one object-oriented programming language talk to another object-oriented programming language through something that's even worse than the C ABI. It's the Objective-C ABI. <laughs> mm. And so I remember when it started out, we, were, we we thought it would be so easy, you know, it just Objective-C seems so simple. You just have a few different types, pass them around, you call Objective-C message send, life will be easy and good. And now when you look at modern bindings used in um, .NET 7 for like iOS or for Xamarin for iOS, there's like a thousand attributes on every method, on every parameter, being very specific about exactly how it should be marshaled. So it's, it's funny. There's a slippery slope when making one programming system talk to another. You can get 80% of it to work very quickly, but then that last 20% is very difficult. And that's all I was thinking about when he was joking about uh, complicated command line arguments. I'm like, oh, yeah, been there. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. <laughs> so really what ends up this being is, you know, when we look at the use cases for this, this sort of shows you the power and flexibility of of .NET as, as, as it continues on its adventure, right? It's not only being able to build anything with .NET, but also bring .NET anywhere easier than ever. And again, I said, it's not like a new concept, but it's a newer hmm, enhancements to the process. So, I, you know, when I think of the adoption of .NET, I really hope that, you know, it's looked at and it's sort of these different ways of using .NET are kind of celebrated in a way. Because some people could look at it and say, oh, well, isn't this just like a way for people to get away from .NET? I'm like, well, no, I think this is a way for people to use .NET in a different way where maybe, you know, maybe even .NET doesn't run everywhere, right? Like if I think of, yeah, couldn't you just take some cool library and then run it on like a tiny, like, you know, yeah, I don't know what, like what's a little uh, SB board or ESP32 <laughs> board? Couldn't you just run? It's a C, it's C, right? Could you? Not do that. Couldn't you be generating PDFs on an SB32 right now using this thing, Frank, technically? <laughs> uh, no, sadly. Oh. But close, close. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so when you do native, it's native, which very specifically means your processor type and the operating mm. system that it's going to be running under. Those SBs that I absolutely love, they are their own processor type. They're not even... 
uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're just their own. Uh, Esprif is the company. It's, it's, it's their own processor architecture. It's its own assembly language. The .NET team is never going to support that. But the .NET team does support ARM64 and maybe ARM7. I forget. I think ARM64. Yeah, it says ARM64. So if you had um, a little embedded processor that ran ARM64, you'd be all set. You could do it. You, if with the it runs on linux so you would have to get a little mm. on there also but technically it would output all the things that's a funny scenario i was thinking of a simpler scenarios uh plugins are a big one so if you want to write like a photoshop plugin or a blender plugin mm. those are almost always native code um like a dynamic library that you put into a folder and then the app creepily picks up your dynamic library when it's uh, loading up. So I was thinking about uh, the Blender SDK, which is just a C++ SDK. You could write a .NET app that does all your magical 3D stuff that you want to do, but you got to package that up into native code and you would be able to use native AOT here to do that and Uh, expose the interfaces you need to become a plugin. Photoshop the same. These are the old ways (laughs) plugins used to work. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I was thinking about how when I worked at Canon, there was a lot of similarities. We had like a plugin format and things like that. Yeah, that's kind of cool. I didn't think about that. Yeah, Hmm. I, I think that's a big use for it. Um, another one is, you know, just efficiency. You know, if, if you don't want to bring up the whole CLR, you can uh, package it all up. Honestly, native AOT makes most sense for apps. I, I should be shipping Kelka as a native AOT app for Windows because it would be like a five megabyte self-contained EXE, you know, no mm. dependencies, nothing like that. Super cool. Uh, so it has those benefits. But for libraries, oh, there's, oh, yes, there's still places where you need native libraries. But can I complain now real quick? Yeah, I, go been, ahead. I was, I was been, waiting. I was waiting. <laughs> I, I was effusive here. I, I was very kind to it because it is wonderful technology. But the big but is no Mac support, James. Mm. Where, where's the Mac support? It's, it's kind of funny. If you get .NET 7, I was playing with this on my computer, and you tell it to build for OS 10 x64, it's still called OS 10 in the .NET world, um, it'll build it. It'll actually create a dynamic library. It just doesn't work. <laughs> it's just, and it's not supported. Um, so the supported platforms are Linux and Windows, Intel 64-bit, and ARM 64-bit. Those are the four platforms you can run it on, which makes sense. Windows, obviously, it's Microsoft. Linux makes a lot of sense because everyone's doing Dockers and server deployments and all that kind Mm. of stuff. So if you're running your apps in Docker and everything, you absolutely should be doing this and integrating with other kind of native apps. But no Mac, James. No Mac. Well, I guess the question is, and I'll put it out to you, I'm assuming this is a no, but... Is there any way to just say if you had a library, not an app, right? You just have a .NET library and you're like, oh, I have a, I don't know, a Swift or a Kotlin app. Could, I mean, because Android's just Linux, right? At the end of the day. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, iOS (laughs) is something. (laughs) It's something. It sure is. It's funny. I mean... it, it, they're not clear. It's not supported. The documentation says not supported, but the tool doesn't 
fail necessarily. Like, mm -hmm. uh, so when you create native code on Windows, it's going to be a .dll uh, for a dynamic library. If you create a static library, it's going to be a .lib. On uh, Linux, you would get a .so for a shared object, shared library. You would get a .a for an archive for static code. On Mac, you should get a, um, a .dilib. Um, that's mm. our dynamic libraries. And it's funny, when you run the tool and tell it which runtime to output, it will output a dilib. And that code is executable. It just doesn't initialize correctly. It doesn't link correctly. I think there's actually something missing from the object file format. I wasn't able to find it exactly. But um, a, a very simple library outputs a big nine megabytes because it's not trimmed. <laughs> a uh, self-contained version of the CLR and my code, but uh, I haven't been able to get it to work yet. I don't know. I just have to complain to... Who do we have to complain to? Rich? Emo? Who do we complain to? <laughs> probably Rich, I would say. There's probably someone. Rich. There's someone. Probably Rich first and then follow up from there. Yeah, because I'm looking at the samples repo on the on .NET slash samples, and there's a... Uh, under core, there's a native AOT, and there's like... It says, the when you run this above command it will drop a shared library windows dll osx dilib linux so and sure enough it's there i guess yeah on android it does that it does ask for so files mm -hmm. man that'd be just interesting i really want to spec it and like just test it just even a simple hello world can i yeah. take that so file put it into an android app and have it open and run and say hello world back to me you may have to modify some flags inside the object format. This is now we're going into the really nerdy territory here. <laughs> um, all of these native libraries, they're just files, right, man? They're just they're just files. You can edit them. You can poke around in them. You can change things in them. Uh, there's a SDK. It's called the FBX SDK. It's a native library to open FBX files, which are 3D file format files that contain 3D geometry and animations, all that kind of stuff. Hmm. They've kind of become a standard for transmitting files around. But it's a native library, and I wanted to be able to run it in all my apps. My apps support uh, Mac X64 and iOS ARM64, but I also wanted to support Mac Catalyst X64 because I'm in the .NET 7 world, man. I, I write Mac mm -hmm. Catalyst apps now. The thing is, um, even though I have the static library for Mac intel 64-bit the mac catalyst linker won't accept it it's like no 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 you are not a mm. mac catalyst library i shall not link you i do not like your code even though you no. obey the cabi and the cabi hasn't changed between the two <laughs> but you know what you do you open yourself a hex editor or in my case run a whole <laughs> bunch of c-sharp code <laughs> to automate the process and you go change a few flags in it and you say you know what i'm not a mac library i'm a mac catalyst library haha <laughs> <laughs> you apple and then all the tools because they're stupid link it on in and it works perfectly <laughs> fine because you're right james code is code to a processor code is code so to a processor yeah none of this really matters and to some extent, the operating system doesn't matter. That's how I was able to change out the operating system. What does matter is that operating system provides dependencies, that native library. Just because it's a native library doesn't mean it's not looking for some dependencies. It needs to be able to open files and write files, and mostly files. <laughs> mostly they have to do that. And that's provided by the operating system. That's why they're specific to the operating system. But if you know what you're doing, 
or you get lucky and like in my case <laughs> you can just modify those too and tell it to go use different <laughs> functions instead of the functions it's using so all this to say is hacking native code is hilarious and fun um but i'm glad that we mostly don't have to do that I'd rather get rich to just support it straight up <laughs> in, in .NET. yeah that's i love it that's cool it's I'm, I'm glad that I took you down. Well, Eric Sink took us down this rabbit hole, so I'll shout out to Eric for this. But I'm glad that you went even deeper and wilder down this journey. This is very exciting. I'm I'm going to very much have a clickbait title yeah. for this episode. <laughs> and in fairness, y- you probably don't need to use this. <laughs> like, unless you're writing a plugin. Like, yes, use native ALT for your apps, but for your mm-hmm. libraries, uh, the use cases are a lot smaller. But it's super cool, and I love how easy it is. So, again, bravo to the .NET team, and thanks, Eric, for um, um, making me pay attention because I haven't been paying attention to this side. There you go. Well, I'd be super interested if any of the listeners have any interest in something like this, maybe during your job, do you are writing plugins or doing something like that, or you've actually experimented with us, let us know. Go to mergeconflict.fm, hit that contact button, or hit us up in our Discord or on Twitter, wherever we're at on the internet. But uh, Frank, I think that's going to do it for this week's uh, Natively Compiled Podcast. This is going to be the biggest download file that you'll ever have because I'm going to export it AOT. I'm going to AOT the MP3. How do you feel about that? It's going to run fast. That's all I know. Fast. It's going to run super <laughs> quick. All right. Well, I think it's going to do it for this week's podcast. So until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.